0: Evening, if you have your Bible, I'd uh, invite you to turn to First Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 9 and 16, verses 9 and 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at these two mysteries continuing uh, and concluding the, uh, the series of Paul's use of the word mystery in his letters. Um, But let's look at the Word of God. Let's look at uh, verse 9, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at verse 16. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And then in verse 16, he says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we look at your word tonight and we look at these two mysteries that Paul speaks of to to Timothy, his disciple, Lord, I pray that um, you would use them and the explanation of them to grow us in our love for Jesus. Father, I pray that Tonight will be a time where we we're humbled and our hearts are, are growing more to um, exalt Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that as, as we think about the mystery of the faith that we believe and as we think about the, uh, the mystery of, of godliness, God, that you'd be working in our hearts, stirring us on to, to be more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So he, uh, Paul states in verses 14 and 15, uh, which I didn't read just to, just to keep our minds focused on the mysteries, but he states in, in 14 and 15, uh, what the purpose of, of this letter is to Timothy. He says that I am uh, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. The household of God is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So Paul is, is writing this letter, and, and again, he, he told Timothy to stay um, in Ephesus. He wants Timothy to, to put some things in order, uh, and there are false teachers that, that were um, getting, getting wrapped up about uh, things that, um, that had to deal with genealogies and just, just false doctrines, steering people away from the faith. And so he's, he's telling Timothy, I want you to stay in Ephesus, and then I'm writing these things to you so that uh, you may know and that the, the church in Ephesus may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. And with, uh, within that context, uh, again, false doctrine was being taught, but, uh, but also it, it, it seems obvious that the Ephesian church didn't have qualifications for leadership because he gives, at the beginning of chapter 3, qualifications for elders and then later on gives qualifications for deacons, which is where we find our, our first uh, mystery here. Uh, mystery number one is the the mystery of, of the faith. He says that deacons must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And and you all know as well as I do, if you if you've studied the Bible for any amount of time, and if you've talked to anybody about Christianity, that that our faith is somewhat of a mystery to people. It it gets people scratching their heads, right? Uh, they can't they can't seem to understand how we would uh, believe in a in a God. Who, who could become man and and they get wrapped up about the virgin birth and the uh, we don 't understand how that could happen and, and you guys believe just some crazy things and and, and it and it's it's spiritual uh, and and it's and it's a mystery but we believe it it's a mystery that believers can be right with God without doing anything to earn it uh, apart from every other uh, Religion in the world, Christianity says that we don't get to we don't get right with God by doing a bunch of good stuff. The only way that we can be made right with God is is by having our sins forgiven by God doing something on our behalf, and and we know that that is sending Christ to to die for our sins, and that's why I put these two. Um, mysteries together, that's, that's why these mysteries are put together is because the mystery of the faith really and, and the mystery of godliness are really um, the same thing. They're talking about the same thing. The mystery of the faith is is talking about the mystery of godliness. The mystery of the faith says, um, or the, the mystery of our faith is that is that one could be right with God without doing anything to earn it. Uh, which again is a, is a mystery to uh, people who are, are Jewish or, or to any, um, any other uh, religion. They're, they're under the impression, uh, sorry, Jews are under the impression that obedience to the law was the source of their justification before God. So, so for them to, to hear from, from Christians that, that we believe it's not about our obedience to the law, it's about Christ's obedience, it's about Christ's work, uh, that's a mystery, We believe that we're justified by faith alone, that that no merit makes us right with God. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that we were saved by grace through faith, not because of of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, and and that we were created in Christ for good works. But it's not because of our good works that we get to earn our right with God, because if, if we were to earn our right with God, we'd have something to boast about before him. And that's a mystery to people. It's a mystery... that that we could be justified by faith alone. And Paul tells Timothy that that the deacons ought to have a a clarity in their conscience, a purity in their conscience about this mystery as they faithfully serve the church. And so the the, the faith, though, the the cornerstone of our faith is Christ. And that that takes us to this second mystery, this mystery of godliness. And and this mystery of godliness is, is all about Jesus, it says that godliness is a is a he he was manifested in the flesh now I think that this uh, according to to some of the things that i that I read that I was studying uh, as I was preparing for this um, this is this passage seems to be a uh, a part of a uh, a first century christian hymn and uh, and you can kind of tell because of the way it's organized all these um, antithesis that are that are put in here, flesh and spirit, angels, nations, world and glory. Um, and so there, um, it, it seems to be a a, a hymn, uh, a confession that the church would have uh, proclaimed, that that Timothy would have known. Um, and Paul tells Timothy that the church is the one that's doing this confession. Look right above uh, verse sixteen. he says, uh, that the household of God is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The truth is the one that's proclaiming this this great mystery of godliness, and and they they uh, are the ones who uphold it. They are the ones who defend this truth. So, what is the mystery? I think, that, like I said before, the the stanzas here give us a Uh, idea of and and a clarity, clarity that it's Jesus. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory, I bet that some of you guys could even quote passages where, where all of these things happen. You know, in Scripture, you've read these things. I, I know that this is talking about Christ. I don't. I don't. It's not confusing to me that this is that this is talking about Him. That's what jumps off the page to us, and so we know that it's about Christ. But what's interesting is that he he says the term godliness is uh, is a man. It's personified. We when I think about godliness, I think about God likeness. I think about um, the the character of God. Right. And, and all of us, in our endeavor to be godly, we, we have to have an example. We're, we're, looking to, um, we're looking to the example of Christ. And, and whenever we say that we see uh, that, that somebody exudes godliness or, or that we say somebody's a godly man, what we're saying is, is that that person is like Jesus. That person is, is like God in what they're doing, in the way that they talk, in the, in the way that they act, in the way that they serve, in the way that they teach. They're, 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 like, they're like God. And what Paul is saying here is that that, that's exactly right. Jesus is godliness manifested. He is godliness in in bodily form. The first comment that he makes, the first, um, in the first stanza here, it says that Jesus was manifested in the flesh. Jesus was manifested in the flesh. In the former times, he was known, Jesus was known as, as Yahweh who spoke to prophets, but now he's known as a, as a son who dines with sinners. He was manifested in the flesh, God with us. God is a human, uh, the God-man. He was such a human that uh, he had to be born. And, and I, th- I think that Josh did such a good job this, this morning talking about the, the virgin birth. When we think about Christ, uh, in order for him to be manifested in the flesh, he had to be born of, of a woman. And a great mystery, even in that, is how that works—that <laughs> Mary became uh, with child by the Holy Spirit. We don't, we don't fully understand how that, how that happens, but, but we know that that it did. We believe that it did. We, we confess that, that Christ had to be born. He was so human that he had to be born. Um, Christ was was so so human that he depended on his parents for survival. Uh, right? Y'all remember whenever it says in in um, in Matthew later on. In in the Gospels, it says that uh, Herod had put out an edict that all of the male children two and under had to be had to be killed, right? But but Jesus, in that in that moment, he was a baby still, and he depended on his parents to to protect him, Uh, because if if Herod's men would have found him, he he would have died, right? And so he uh, he was so human that he he depended even on his parents for uh, for survival. Jesus was hungry. There's places in scripture that talk about Christ being hungry and thirsty um, and tired when he fell asleep on the boat. Um, He felt compassion. He felt pain. When Christ, uh, Greg Gilbert says in a book that he wrote, uh, Who is Jesus? He says that when the soldiers pushed the thorns into the skin of Christ's scalp and drove the nails into his wrists, it hurt. And we confess that Christ became flesh. We confess that God became a man, that he, that he dwelt among us, and, and that he, he really felt the things that we feel, that he, that he was hungry, and that he was thirsty, and that he, he, he got tired. Most importantly, that he died, that Christ, that Christ died. To that point, that takes us to that, to that second uh, stanza there, vindicated by the Spirit, Christ um, Christ was manifested in the flesh, uh, v- born of a virgin. And then he was vindicated by the Spirit. Now, vindicated is an interesting word. Um, uh, some may, may translate that justified. Your, some of your translations may say justified, um, to be declared right uh, or, or to be made correct, um, to be seen as as correct. And, and the only way that, that um, I really know to explain this is that... Um, christ was was being mocked and was being um, was what was being said about him was that he was uh, a a glutton and a drunkard, right that he uh, he was a heretic. The only time that that um, really we see Christ being vindicated by the spirit is is at his resurrection. so Christ was I believe this is talking about his resurrection and uh, and it says, Vindicated by the Spirit, and it was proving a couple of things here. Uh, one, that he was righteous. Two, that he was the Son of God. And three, that, um, that Christ is more powerful than sin and death. Listen to Romans chapter 1, verse 4. It says uh, that, that he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Christ was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So so he was, he was declared to be right whenever he rose from the grave showing that uh, he really was who he said he was. Whenever Christ rose from the dead, that that, that vindicated him that he was not who uh, the Jews were saying that he was. He wasn't, he wasn't somebody who was uh, a heretic and was opposed to the kingdom of God. He was uh, the kingdom of God uh, fulfilled. He was the Uh, the Old Testament prophecies fulfilled. He was vindicated by the Spirit, showing that he was righteous, that he had never sinned, but was the sacrifice for sins, that he was the Son of God, because only only God can raise himself from the dead. No one else in the history of the world has been able to do that same thing. Nobody else can, can die and come back to life on their own. Only Christ can. And so if, if he's able to do that, then then that proves that he, he is who he says that he is, right? And that takes us to the, the third thing. It says that he was seen by angels. Christ was, uh, was, was seen by, by angels. At his resurrection, he was seen by angels. Um, But but at his uh, birth, at his temptation, and also at his ascension, and uh, some people would say that this is not necessarily in chronological order. These these six statements here, Um, but but I think at least uh, this portion about being vindicated by the Spirit and being seen by angels is uh, for for several reasons. But um, because it comes right after, because being seen by angels comes right after being vindicated by the Spirit. Um, it seems as if as if uh, it is. It seems as if it's in it's in chronological order. It says, uh, so when Christ, <laughs> when um, yeah, when the women had uh, when it, when the women had got to the tomb, uh, the angel spoke to to them that Christ had risen. Uh, the angel in scripture was the one who even rolled back the tomb. Um, and we know that uh, in all of those, uh, at all those times, at his birth, at his temptation, at his resurrection, and at his ascension, um, Christ was, was seen by angels, and that even right now, Christ being at the right hand of the Father uh, is being worshipped uh, by angels, and um, Revelation would tell us that they are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. We, we confess that that angels have seen Christ, that they worship him, and that, again, no, nobody else in, in history has ever been uh, talked about in that way. Christ is the, um, is the mystery of godliness. But it also says that he was proclaimed among the nations. This is the fourth thing that's, that's spoken of about Christ, that he was proclaimed among the nations. And the word nations can be translated um, and is translated uh, Gentiles in other places um, that, that Christ was proclaimed among people who uh, were, were unbelievers and who Jews did not think that the gospel was going to come to, right? Jews thought that the gospel was only going to be for them, that it was exclusively for them. And, and yet um, after Christ especially and, and at his uh, great commission, he tells his disciples to go, uh, therefore, and, and preach the gospel to all nations, all people groups, you're to go and take this message to every single person. We know that God doesn't show any, any partiality. God is not uh, a God who, who only works and, uh, and, and loves a certain uh, nation or, or, or nationality, but God, God loves all people, and that's why he sent Christ into the world, and, uh, and, and we know that Christ is being proclaimed among the nations. Paul himself even calls himself a, a preacher to the Gentiles in 1 Timothy 2. Uh, 7 it should be on that same page Uh, he says for to this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle I am telling the truth I am not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth and and Peter in Acts chapter 10 uh, Acts 10 34 Peter uh, gets a vision from God and it's a it's a Kind of a weird vision, but uh, essentially God is telling him that he needs to go and and share the gospel with a guy named Cornelius, and and Peter's kind of uh, up in arms about it. Like, well, I, I don't want to defile myself, God. I've I've kept myself from uh, from these things my my whole life, but uh, but if you tell me to go, I'll, I'll go. And uh, and so Peter goes and, and preaches, and Cornelius' family is is saved and and baptized, uh, showing that that Christ was going to be proclaimed among the nations. And, and we're seeing that, too, even in, our, even in our own church. We're seeing that still today, uh, that Christ is, is, is being proclaimed. We're sending teams to Mexico and, and Ecuador and, um, and sending Marcus to, uh, to go work with Wycliffe Ministries. We're uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators, and so uh, we, we know that, that this statement about Christ is true. We confess that, that Christ is being proclaimed um, among, among all people. The fifth thing that Paul says is that Christ was believed on in the world. So proclaimed among the nations and, and believed on in the world. In order for Christ to be believed on, he's got to be proclaimed. Um, and as, as the disciples preached, they, they went everywhere. Everywhere. Uh, Paul himself set up numerous churches in, in all these different cities. Uh, if, you, if you've read any of the epistles, you know that Paul wrote uh, a, a lot of them to, to different churches. And uh, in a lot of those churches, they, he, was, he was setting up, he was preaching the gospel and setting up churches and then traveling uh, to, to the next city. Uh, and all throughout all throughout the New Testament, we hear about Paul's missionary journeys. If you read the book of Acts, you hear about uh, where Paul was going. But uh, he was setting up these uh, churches in in pagan lands where God was 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 working and growing, where people were believing the gospel, um, and and again today we we see that happening all the time. We we have seen that even in our own lives that the gospel has come to us uh, from from Christ's uh, disciples. Uh, those twelve men took the gospel and were faithful to go and, and preach that gospel message, and and now it has it has carried to to Fairdale, Kentucky, and. And has been here for uh, at least a uh, hundred and three years or so, and, and we're uh, trusting Christ uh, here today. We're, we're believing in Christ um, as well as as well as other people all around the world because of, of the disciples going out and, uh, and and preaching the gospel message. <clears throat> and the last thing that. Paul says, is that Christ was taken up in glory. Matthew Henry says that uh, that this was the crown of Christ's exaltation, uh, that Christ would, this, this, this is the uh, epitome of Christ being exalted, that he ascended into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, where we believe and we confess that Christ is right now. And that's a, that's a, uh, a great mystery, again, in and of itself, that a, a physical human man just kind of floated up into thin air, and and that he would still be that same way today. Uh, and and that's a that's a really a, an incredible thought to think that Christ, like he, he's he's still a human. He's a human right now. Whenever we whenever we pray to him, we are praying to a human. He he could walk through the, the, the back doors of our church right now in the flesh because that's the way that he ascended. And the Bible teaches that whenever he comes back, he's going to come back in the same way. Christ was, Christ was a man, but he was taken up in glory. Um, the author of Hebrews says that uh, he was taken up in glory. He's sitting next to the Father, and, and right now he's making intercession for us where he always, um, where he always makes intercession for us. Um, it also says in Hebrews that uh, Christ will return one day, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So we believe that Christ was was taken up. We believe that he sits right now at the right hand of the Father, and, and we, uh, I think that that it's it's a it's a good thing it's 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 in some ways interesting that Paul puts that in this um, in this confession, but uh, the the implications are that the reason why Christ is there is is because He's our High Priest that we um, that we pray to and He makes intercession for our sins. We ask Him to forgive us and we pray in Jesus' name, and it's as if Christ is sitting right there at the right hand of the Father and He is is speaking to God on on our behalf. So those are the six things. He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the spirit. He was seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Christ is godliness incarnate. And and if we are uh, gonna be godly, if we're gonna be godly men and women here at First Baptist Fairdale, we need the godliness of Christ. We need him to, to give his godliness to us. And the way for us to to, to be uh, godly as he's godly or to be holy as he is holy is is to uh, trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins. Closing with this quote, Matthew Henry says, it being a great mystery, we should rather humbly adore it and piously believe it than curiously pry into it or be too positive in our explications of it and determinations about it further than the Holy Scriptures have revealed it to us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much again for giving us Jesus, giving us godliness incarnate, showing us what uh, you look like, Father, showing us that you you are um, holy, that you are uh, blameless, God, that you are, are just in all of your ways. And Lord, I pray that uh, as we leave here tonight, we would be thinking about how we, we need your godliness. We need you, Father. Help us to, to seek you better, help us to love you better, and, and to, to follow Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.